Hello and welcome to another episode of Healing Through Pain, a podcast dedicated to the mission of walking people towards healing and health. In each new episode, we will discuss how to show up well for the responsibilities and opportunities that life sends our way. Here is your host, Stephanie West, a licensed practicing counselor in the state of Michigan, a teacher, and a professor who lives her life at the intersection of mental health and education. Thanks so much for following along. Hey, welcome back to a new episode. So happy to be here with you. It is officially Thanksgiving week. I hope at some point this week you do spend some time thinking about things that you are in fact thankful for. This is really going to be a topic today about what happens in our brain when we decide to direct our thoughts because really cool, profound things can happen. And gratitude is one of those spaces we can camp out. Let's say you took every day this week and and put together a small list of things you're thankful for. I assure you within a very short span of time, within a couple weeks, your attitude would tilt towards a more grateful attitude. The science supports that. But thought patterns, I think we so often think of some of that science as kind of hokey or maybe it just takes too much effort. Today, I want to camp out in what happens if we decide to intentionally direct our thought patterns. And I'm going to use the narrative of relationship counseling. Now, one of the ways we set the table with relationships is my client is neither the the man or the woman that comes in or whatever the relational dynamic. There are multiple ways that relational counseling can play out. Even the family dynamic is interesting because we're talking about multiple people. No singular person is the client at that point. The relationship is the client, which means we might have to have tough discussions about all participants and all participants are going to have to play an active role in owning their piece of relational distress if we expect anything to get better. I really appreciated the way Jordan Peter and put it in his 12 More Rules book, I believe, where he says, even if you're 5% of the problem, you have a responsibility to the relationship to own your 5%. Now you can come in and insist that your partner is 95% at fault, but we don't get to make movements until you own your 5%. And so it's one of those things where we're not going to get anywhere if you're not being honest about your role. And when we talk about your role in the relationship, a lot of relational disrepair comes down to our thought patterns. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, my show notes are a touch lengthier today than normal. So if this does go longer, you know, I'm not sorry for that. I'm just aware of that. But also, I think brain science is a place to camp out because it matters so much. So this last week, I have husband and wife come in and they share this anecdote about a fight that they had over the last couple weeks since I've seen them. But what's interesting about this fight is it's the same fight not the exact same, but the dynamic is something that's happening again and again in their relationship. There's a pattern to this fight. This is not a new situation. So husband is clumsy and he drops something or husband forgets to follow through on something or husband doesn't clean up after himself. So that's the way the same dynamic kind of shows up week after week after week. So wife criticizes him or wife is passive aggressive with him or wife shuts down. And this cycle is on repeat in their relationship. And a lot of it is coming down to either intentional or or perhaps unintentional thought processes that are running. See, what happens in our brain is we have these hypotheses that run under the surface where we just make assumptions about things and we call them truth. And so these thoughts actually predate this argument that they have on repeat. Here's the thing about the brain. It has two jobs, protect us and make things easier for us. So once we land on something as a truth, once we generate a hypothesis, literally our brain will go out and track down information that validates what we've decided is true. It's one of the core reasons why cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the foremost goals 
gold standard modalities that we use in therapy because our thoughts matter that much. And if we can't disrupt our thoughts, we're not going to make much traction. If we concentrate on our thoughts, we actually have a lot of shifts that we can make towards health and wellness. So this hypothesis is set. It's running under the surface, but we love being correct. We love this confirmation bias that's going on. So I have this hypothesis. My brain is just going out there finding information that validates it. And we we tend to be pretty lazy. So we just kind of go with it. If my brain says it, it's true. Friends, our thoughts are not facts. Our feelings are not facts. Facts are facts. And if we don't decide to chase down facts, I assure you we will experience significantly more distress in our relationships. And that includes our relationships with ourselves as well. So as these clients come in, they have this hypothesis running. So her hypothesis is that husband is irresponsible. And so the brain tracks down all the evidence that supports this idea. So when he knocks something over, oh, he's irresponsible. When he doesn't clean things up after himself, oh, he's irresponsible. When he forgets a task that he's committed to doing, oh, he's irresponsible. And every time this happens, it adds ammunition to the hypothesis that's already there. He is irresponsible. When he shows up late, irresponsible. When he doesn't make the bed, irresponsible. And then he has his own hypothesis running. Wife's a nag. She's critical. So when she sighs, she's being a nag. When she gets overwhelmed and asks for help, she's being a nag. When she's reminding him to follow through on something, she's a nag. So he's irresponsible and she's a nag. And we see this fight play out on repeat, but it's in different packages. And so they're not realizing it's kind of the same thing happening on repeat. So what do we do about that? It's not like they're intentionally thinking the worst about each other, but the reality is they are thinking the worst about each other. They're making assumptions about the other person's intentions and calling it fact. And it's running under the surface. So our first step is we have to bring it to our awareness and decide that we want to think about this differently. Now, we also have to consider this has been an entrenched way of thinking. In their story now, it's been going on about two or three years where we've had these similar conversations or they've reported about these similar anecdotes. And so what I did was I whiteboarded it with them and we put up the hypothesis, he is irresponsible. And I asked her, I said, hey, could you come up with any evidence that he actually is responsible? So she starts talking about things that he successfully does around the house, ways he successfully supports the relationship, ways he shows up for both of them well. And so up on the board, I also write the hypothesis, she's a nag. And I ask him, is there anything else that might be going on here? Perhaps she's had a hard day at work. Perhaps she's under stress. Perhaps there's a lot going on and her her temper's just a touch shorter than usual. Is that her nagging or is that a bid for asking for help and she just doesn't know how to do that well? There's more going on here than the automatic thought patterns that are running the discourse in which they're engaging. So I ask her the question, is he irresponsible? Is he intentionally making your life harder or is he helping out? And what's a more helpful thought. So let's say his name is Ted and we say, what is Ted doing well? And we generate the list. When her brain, like when she automatically sighs and her brain says, oh, he's such a doofus. He's such a moron. He's so irresponsible. Her responsibility is to disrupt that and say, wait a second, that's not accurate. He's done A, B, and C. Now, if we want to be balanced, she can say, well, maybe he was irresponsible here, but I don't think he intended to. And he's also taking care of B, C, and D over here. So I'm going to assume that he's trying his best. What if that's where we camped out? What if we just assume that people are trying their best? Now, I get it. There are some people out there that fail and fail spectacularly. But in general, if we have generous assumptions about people, we're probably on the right track and we're probably protecting relationships better. And so I say to Ted, I say, okay, Ted, you've decided she's a nag. What else might be going on here? Is it possible that she's prickly for a particular reason not related to you? So maybe you don't have to get defensive. Is it possible that she just has a lot going on and the sigh wasn't about 
about you at all. Is it possible that she used too harsh of a tone and you could just say to her, hey, I'm going to clean this up, but you don't have to use that tone with me. I hear you. I'm here to help. He can certainly go about it differently. So we've taken two pieces of what's going on here and we've given them both permission to disrupt it. She can stop herself from assuming the worst. She can have generous assumptions about him. And if she does it wrong, if she ends up sighing too heavily or being passive aggressive, he has the right to say, hey, just a second, that's not what's actually going on here. And actually I am doing my best. We can disrupt it in a whole host of ways. They both have that opportunity, but to protect the relationship, they both have that responsibility. Both of them need generous assumptions towards each other. And here's another reason why it matters. I'm talking to this woman and let's say her name is Gina. And I'm saying, Gina, every time you get upset with him and you assume the worst about him, it's your stress response that's being engaged. It's wear and tear on your body. It's your adrenals that are firing off. It's your cortisol that's dumping in your stomach. That's a problem. It's not just you physiologically and psychologically struggling. It's also the relationship. We are incurring debt in the relationship by continually allowing these hypotheses to run unchecked and calling them truth. So I asked her in session to help me come up with some truth statements. So I'm feeling he's irresponsible because that would be accurate. It's not he is irresponsible. It's I'm feeling he is irresponsible, but he also did A, B, and C today. So maybe I could cut him a break. I'm feeling he's irresponsible, but I'm actually feeling a bit prickly today. So maybe I'm interpreting this too harshly. I'm feeling he's irresponsible, but he didn't mean to make a mistake and mistakes happen. Maybe I can lay off. She can do this internally to disrupt the automatic negatives that she's thinking about her husband. She has the right to counteract the hypothesis, but the problem is it's an entrenched pattern. So she's going to have to do a lot of repetitions of erring on the side of grace, disrupting her thoughts and replacing it with something that's more truthful. Maybe he is at times irresponsible, but it's not an accurate accusation that is universally true. So she has the responsibility to think about things accurately for her benefit, for his benefit, for the relationship's benefit. And that goes for her too. She is not universally a nag. For him to reduce her to that is inaccurate. It's not for her good. It's not for his good. It's not for the relationship's good. So we have to to work on disrupting those thought patterns. Now, if she snaps at him, he has a choice. He could see her as a nag, or perhaps he can ask a few questions. Internally, he would be saying, what else might be going on here? Is she having a rough day? Perhaps she's taking out on me inappropriately. How can I demonstrate to her that we're on the same team? If he slows things down enough too, he can disrupt the cycle. She might be nagging, but what if something else is going on? She is assumingly one of his best friends. She is his closest confidant. Why do we not err on the side of grace when we are communicating with those whom we love? She's not just an egg. She's someone you love. Please protect that relationship. And I say that to both of them. So in session, what we did was we slowed everything down and then we practiced saying truth statements again and again and again and again and again, because that's how we disrupt the automatic patterns that are already running. And the only way we make movement here is consistency over time. So if they're doing it with me for one hour, but not going out in life and practicing, we're going to keep having the same fight again and again and again show up. And they're going to be like, I don't get it. Why is this still happening? Because you think he's irresponsible and you think she's a nag. And so we keep arriving here. He is not irresponsible and she is not a nag, but we have to decide that again and again and again. 
And then we have to behave again and again and again as though it's true. And then they will start to believe it. And then the emotions will kind of ride out. But it doesn't happen until we work on the thought patterns and change the behaviors. We have to bring the faulty hypothesis into awareness. What we focus on becomes our reality. I said this on the last episode. Where our attention goes, our energy flows. And there's a really fun experiment. I know I've cited it in the past where they have some Confederates sitting watching a screen and they said, count how many times this person is walking across the screen or bouncing a ball or how many times this person's jumping on the trampoline and the confederate hyper fixates on what they want to pay attention to and then at the end they'll say okay how many times did they hit the ball and the number's 50 or how many times did they jump on the trampoline and the number's 11 and most often people get it correctly but whilst that's happening there's usually a gorilla or some sort of abnormality walking around the screen and they'll say to people well did you see the gorilla and the people are like what gorilla because they were so hyper-focused on the thing that they were looking for. Our brain does that automatically. We have thoughts running that if we don't disrupt them, they can monopolize our energy, they can monopolize our attention, and unfortunately, they might not be accurate. So the hypothesis, this is too hard, I can't do this. I shouldn't be uncomfortable. That person's disrespectful. He's irresponsible. She's a nag. The brain will generate the hypothesis and then we will seek out evidence without intending to that validates our thoughts. So we have to acknowledge these hypotheses. We have to look for counter evidence. We have to replace the automatic thoughts with a more balanced statement. And then we have to practice, practice, practice. The more repetitions, the more we will work on fixing unhelpful patterns. Again, where our attention goes, our energy flows. And it takes a while to rewrite a hypothesis, but it's for his good. It's for her good. It's for the relationship's good. It's for our good that we know that we can disrupt those patterns. If we want our relationships to be healthy, we have to own our part in the distress. And a lot of it is running under the surface. Here's an invitation to consider what it might look like to own your part. Just because our brain says it, that doesn't make it true. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. Please share this content with friends and family. Feel free to connect with Stephanie at healingthroughpain21 at gmail.com. Until next time, be well.